and welcome to another edition of the One Foot Power Hour. Thank you for joining us. We have our fifth candidate forum in our sixth forum series. So we're coming down to the home stretch. I will be uh, talking to uh, candidates for city council and, and county council this evening. Uh, we're very excited um, for the discussion tonight. Uh, but again, uh, thank you for everyone who's been joining us um, this entire fall. Uh, for all of our candidate forums, um, as many as you know, we uh, had the mayoral forum last Monday and we will have a quarter common police forum next Monday. But tonight is all about city council and county council. And before uh, we get into, um, you know, uh, our, our candidates and our questions and everything like that, we do have um, some housekeeping that we always do before our forums, giving folks uh, important information about the upcoming election because we are getting closer to the election and, and deadlines are coming up. So uh, Miracle, uh, my co-host uh, and my co-pilot on this mission, could you uh, share with us some of the uh, important dates that are coming up with the election? Uh, yes, most definitely. Thank you so much for the introduction, uh, Kahari. Uh, like he said, we're having this fall forum series because we want to let people know um, what the positions are that they're going to be voting for on November 2nd, as well as um, what questions and what the positions are going to be going to be taking how it's going to be impacting their lives every single day. Um, but in order to vote these people, you have to be registered to vote. In Pennsylvania, you have to be at least 18 years old, a resident of Allegheny County or your jurisdiction for 30 days, um, and, and registered. So that means you have to go online to the new website, um, vote.vote.pa uh, to um, register. If you move to the area, your last name has changed. Um, got a new address. Something had happened. You are recently uh, released from incarceration or you are awaiting um, trial. You are still eligible to vote. Please make sure you're registered to vote. The important registration deadline is October 18th. You have until October 18th to register to vote. Unlike last year, there is not going to be any type of delays. You have to have all of your information um, submitted, whether it is down at the Board of Elections office um, because you don't have a state ID, you want to make sure you, your stuff is in. Please go down to the Board of Elections office to register in person. You must, you must be registered. Um, by close of business on the 18th, or you will not be allowed to um, vote on the November 2nd election. If you say, you know what, I may be traveling, I don't want to be outside, I'm still leery of the lack of drop boxes and COVID is still out here. If you want to vote by mail, you must submit an application by the 26th. Given the mail is still delayed, basically, you know, everyone's been impacted by, you know, labor shortages and things or whatnot, you want to make sure you actually register for your vote by mail before the 26th. While the 26th is the deadline, they, if you're mailing something in, they're going to mail something back. And then you don't want to be able to have a situation where you don't get your ballot in time or you don't and you have an issue and you have the wrong ballot and you can't vote. So please, please, please make sure you are registered um, early. Make sure you go ahead and submit your vote by mail application. The deadline is the 26th. And of course, election day is Tuesday, November 2nd. And again, 
with this election. You're not going to have those extra three days to verify your information. We want to make sure, again, that you go ahead and make your voting plan. Look at your poll. Look at your polling place because on November 2nd, that is the that's the one and done. Um, there's not going to be any changes. So please, please, please make sure you are registered to vote. All right. Thank you for that uh, miracle. And, and before before we get started, uh, just again with some normal housekeeping that we do, we're going to give a quick rundown of the roles and responsibilities. I'm um, starting with Allegheny County Council, and uh, Allegheny County Council is the legislative branch of our county government. Uh, the council is made up of 15 elected officials, 13 district representatives, and two at-large members. Members are elected to four-year terms on a staggered basis. The powers and duties include approving and amending legislation submitted by either the county executive or a council member, annually adopting a balanced county budget, permitting use of county land, levying taxes and fees, confirming or rejecting appointments for county agencies and employees. And Pittsburgh City Council um, is the legislative branch of Pittsburgh City Government. It carries out duties in accordance with the Home Rule Charter and laws of the state, and is primarily responsible for making laws which govern the city of Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh City Council proposes, debates, and votes on legislation governing or affecting the city. The body also approves appointments as provided by the charter, regulates revenues and expenditures, incurs debt, and approves the, finally, the final operating and capital budgets for the city. Council is responsible for the introduction of legislated legislation generated by the administrative branch of city government. Council may also introduce legislation generated by individual council members or council as a body. Um, so that's just a little bit uh, of a breakdown. And, uh, and we're really excited um, to introduce our, our guests for this evening. Uh, we have uh, County Councilwoman Anita Prizio. We have uh, City Councilman Dan Lavelle, uh, City Councilwoman Erica Straussberger, and candidate for City Council in the, in the South Hills uh, section of the city, Connor Mulvaney. So uh, I welcome everyone. Thank you for joining us this evening. I know everyone's busy. We're a few weeks out uh, from the election, as well as we have in three sitting elected officials who always have the tough job of having to run for office while currently serving in office. Um, so let's start, uh, we'll start with uh, Councilwoman Prizio and then go to Councilman LaBelle, Councilwoman Strasburger, and then uh, Carter Mulvaney, uh, just with uh, just a quick introduction, um, just a few words of, about yourself, why you're running and just introduce yourself to the viewers. Thank you very much for having me and um, happy National Coming Out Day to everybody and happy Indigenous Peoples Day. So I am your current county council member. I represent um, from Reserve to West Deer. Um, these are river towns. These are affluent suburbs and rural areas. I'm a daughter of two immigrants. My dad came from Italy. My mom came from Germany. They met at night school and they started a business in East Liberty called Pittsburgh Crankshaft Serves. And that's where I've worked for the past 30 years. Um, although my parents did not have a college education, um, they found education very important. And I was able to um, you know, pursue my law degree at the University of Pittsburgh as, long as, as well as my MBA. Um, I've dedicated a, a 
portion of my life to part-time public service. I spent eight years on O'Hara Township Council and uh, almost four years on County Council. Um, and I, I've lived in O'Hara all my life. I'm living in the house my parents built. I, my husband and my late husband and I raised our two children here in O'Hara Township. Um, Allegheny County has always been my home, and I want to do my best to ensure that Allegheny County remains a welcoming, diverse, and um, the most livable county in Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you, Councilwoman. And now joining us, uh, Councilman Lavelle. And uh, full disclosure, me and uh, Councilman Lavelle go way, way back. Uh, <laughs> we started in politics basically the same day in uh, Councilman Levine's office 20 years ago. Uh, it's crazy to me. So always good to see you. I ran into you the other day up at the baseball field, but uh, thanks so much for taking out your time. As always good to be with an old friend, uh, Councilman Lavelle. Thank you. Thank you. Indeed, it's always good to be with you most. Uh, so Councilman Daniel Lavelle, I represent the sixth city council district. Um, it starts in Oakland. So I have represent Oakland, the Hill District, uptown, downtown. And then I cross over to the north side, um, parts of central north side, Manchester, California, Kirkbride, Fiveview, and Perry Hilltop. Um, I'm running for re-election to city council, primarily because I believe I have some work that is unfinished. Um, it's a few more things that I need to get accomplished. Um, primarily, well, at least one of them, the redevelopment of the Lower Hill District site. Um, we're getting ready to break ground on a new office tower on the site. I'm proud to announce that we currently have about 43%, I believe, MWB participation on that development, which is one of my goals and objectives since I came to office, um, which was to begin to change the economic reality, especially for Af African-American communities here within the city of Pittsburgh. And I know we got a, a number of us to get to, so I'll be brief so we can get to the questions, but it's always good to be with you. Thanks so much. And uh, Councilwoman uh, Staff Strasberger. Thank you so much, Kahari. Thank you so much for holding these forums. They're really important. And I'm just, I'm so thrilled to be here tonight. Um, my name is Erica Strasberger. I represent the 8th Council District for the City of Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh City Council. And um, that encompasses um, Shadyside, parts of Squirrel Hill, Point Breeze, and Oakland. So it's geographically the smallest council district, but it's very dense, full of lots of people and uh, includes um, institutions like universities and students, all a range of all sorts of different people of all ages. Um, I started in city council as my first term. So I started about three and a half years ago. And before that um, was chief of staff to my predecessor, Dan Gilman, for four years. And prior to getting into local politics, I was involved in politics on the other side of, uh, of things as an advocate. So I was an environmental advocate here in Pittsburgh and also up in New Hampshire for about a decade before I entered local politics. And that's where I really cut my teeth in politics. That's where I learned that if you want something done, you have to get the right people into office to be able to accomplish the goals that you've set out, uh, whether it is um, fighting fracking and getting more clean, renewable energy to power our, um, our houses and our businesses and our cars, or whether it is and ensuring that our waterways stay clean and our, our air that we breathe is clean. So those are big priorities for me. But um, whether it's that, whether it's housing, whether it's creating jobs, whether it's attracting people here while taking, you know, new people here to the region while taking care of those who already live here, whether it's um, 
uh, eradicating hate, whether it's building bridges between neighborhoods. Um, I feel, uh, as Councilman Lavelle said, that look, I still have work to do, a lot of work to do, which is why I'm running for re-election. Um, and uh, so pleased to be here tonight to talk a little bit about the issues. Thank you, Councilwoman. And Alder Mulvaney? Yeah, thank you, Kahari. Um, thank you, One Hood, for um, doing this event. I'm excited to be here uh, to share a little bit about me uh, since folks uh, might not have heard my name before. Uh, my name is Connor Mulvaney. I'm running for Pittsburgh City Council in District 4. So that's Brookline, Beachview, Carrick, Overbrook, On Air, uh, and a little sliver of Mount Washington. Uh, I'm running as a green, and I'll get it out of the way. First, what, what does that mean? Uh, we tried to center social justice, nonviolence, ecological wisdom, and grassroots democracy in everything that we do. And, and that's what I want to bring to Pittsburgh City Council. Um, I'm running a, a campaign that's completely ind independent, again, because we're, we're greens, right? We have to uh, figure out a way to do things outside of uh, sort of the normal uh, business as usual. Uh, we're not taking any money from developers or uh, super PACs or corporations. Um, I've signed the no cop money pledge. I've signed the no fossil fuel money pledge. Um, I'm really here to to try to shake council up. You know, I don't think that the good old boys are are getting it done anymore, especially in District Four. Um, and I don't think that there should be a sort of hush hush closed door way of of going about business anymore. Um, People are sick of it. I'm personally sick of it. And that's one of the reasons that I wanted to run. Um, I've previously done work with South Hill Safe Streets, which is like a mini bike Pittsburgh in the South Hills. Um, we've been advocating for safer streets, um, you know, better sidewalks, better accessibility, um, just trying to give people as much uh, freedom of movement and um, the ability to, to live their lives to the fullest as they can. Um, aside from that, I've been active in the Green Party with uh, their uh, their policy committee. Um, I've really tried to uh, step in in the last year and, and be more active. We marched all summer last year um, and tried to live our values, try to gain grassroots energy and uh, bring it bring it up. Um, so we really want to listen to people. We've been doing, uh, surveys in our community as we've been door knocking this fall. Um, we want to make sure that people have safe streets, that they can have a roof over their heads, that they get their street plow. Finally. Um, we want to really listen to people and, and take the issues that are important to them into council. Um, and we, we take it seriously. Um, you know, we want to, we want to hear from folks. So I encourage people, if you haven't heard of us engage our campaign on social media. Uh, we're youth led, I should say too. Um, like I said, no more, um, business as usual way of doing things. We're here to shake up city council and I'm excited to be here. Thanks so much for that. And, and we, uh, with our, um, excuse me, our usual disclaimer that, uh, you know, we invited folks from all, uh, political stripes and parties. So we thank, uh, those who joined us tonight and, uh, we did, didn't, you know, I know Pittsburgh is a democratic city. We just didn't invite our democratic friends. We invited everybody and, and the folks that you see are the folks that, that took their time out, um, to have this conversation. And we really appreciate that. Um, so I'm going to hand it over to Miracle, um, to start the, the question and answer portion of our forum. 
Okay, and we're just gonna go in reverse order. What um uh, a lot of you already talked about, like why you're running. Um, so the next question is, what changes do you see council making in the near future that's going to address the issues specifically around the lack of affordable housing and the reality of increased displacement? Um, we'll start with you, um, uh, Connor, and we'll go in reverse order. Sure. Thanks. Um, so first of all, um, we need permanent and immediate eviction protection. We have to keep people where they're at right now. Um, we have to keep Pittsburgh humming for the people that want to want to call it home. The piecemeal approach, the the sort of stumbling that's happened in in city council throughout the pandemic isn't isn't good enough. Um, you know, we we've, we've saved some folks. We have to make sure that we're saving everybody and, and make sure that housing is human right and that everybody has access to it. Uh, when I'm elected, I hope to create a mandatory affordable unit requirement based on region median income not market value, um, to, like I said, try to keep Pittsburgh home and, and make sure that the people who historically lived here, the people who want to live here, the people that keep our city running can continue to live here. And that's a top, a top priority is we're continuing to feel our way out of the pandemic. Thank you so much. Um, Councilman Strasburger. Well, it's a big question. So I'll try to address some of it, but um, I think that the biggest challenge that we have to recognize is that our city is, when we're talking about new housing that's being developed, it's being developed uneven. In that part of town that I represent, it is, we are, we have been seeing development of new housing of all sorts, but mostly market rate housing for a long time. And we need, we're getting to the point where we need to mandate that a certain portion of every project has affordable units in it. We're already starting to see that in places like the Shakespeare Giant Eagle project that's being proposed. But that has to happen on a much larger scale. On In other parts of town, there, there just needs to be more investment in the commercial districts or in the downtowns or in um, housing in general. And in other parts of towns, we need to re rehabilitate the vacant lots and the vacant buildings. So it's an uneven kind of situation across the city. One size does not fit all. But in some place, inclusionary zoning is absolutely the answer where the markets are hot. We're seeing that in Lawrenceville and Bloomfield and Garfield. And I think we're going to take that into the district 100% soon in Oakland and Cheney side soon. And we can continue to grow our, our housing opportunity fund. We can continue to put, which covers a whole range of different types of affordability for renters and for homeowners options. Um, we can continue to support community land trusts, which is an amazing tool that we have in Lawrenceville in Oakland, but also the City Bridges Land Trust, which can allow for even when someone owns a property, owns their house on a land, that land. Uh, requires that that house stays permanently affordable so future homeowners can build credit and build home equity but can you know ensure that that property stays permanently affordable um and i think that the other thing is we need to have all the policies in place that help facilitate um the development of affordable housing that make it less expensive. So that's things like making sure that our permits, licenses, and inspection department runs efficiently, as efficiently as possible, as, as well as our zoning department, as well as our planning department, and that we have other measures in place that reduce the cost of building affordable housing, like 
reducing parking minimums, which requires that you have to have a certain number of parking spaces inside a new apartment building that's being built. If we get rid of those, it brings down the cost tremendously. So that's just one example of a type of policy that we can um, work to, that's not necessarily exactly housing related, but all fits into the big bucket of making affordable housing that we're building less expensive and, and, and easier to build here in the city. So we have to do a lot of different things to open our arts to uh, people who want to develop that in that way uh, and, and, and also have the carrot and the stick to be able to ensure that uh, housing is, is being converted and new housing is being created in that way. Thank you so much, Councilman Lavelle. So Councilwoman Strasburger really hit the nail on the head when she talked about the cost of affordable housing. Um, building more affordable housing in our city is not an issue of will. Um, this council has proven we absolutely want to put resources towards affordable housing. Um, at the URA, we can demonstrate how we are actively working with the Pittsburgh Housing Development Corporation, which is an affiliate of the URA, to provide more affordable housing. But affordable housing is also very expensive. And so the biggest thing we must do is increase funding for affordable housing. The most immediate thing we're going to do is begin approving the spending plan for the Housing Opportunity Fund, which is funded at $10 million a year. Um, the URA will actually vote on it this coming Thursday, um, and then it'll come over to city council for approval as well. Um, it was mentioned about uh, renter protection and ensuring that people are not getting evicted. Um, once a lot of the moratoriums are lifted, as part of that budget, we were going to be allocating, I believe it's about $425,000 to legal aid to help people actually stay in their homes. Um, we currently have about 800000 in that pot of funding at the URA. Um, so those are some of the more immediate things that we can actually do. Thank you. Uh, Katsalong, Prisia. Hi, thank you so much. Um, yeah, I think the county should work in coordination with the city when we talk about these things. Um, as Connor said, I believe housing is a human right. And I also believe that um, when the county does their alertas and TIFs, um, we should have a component of affordable housing in the, in the mixture there. And, um, you know, I know that Lance Arms, uh, Lance Chimka um, through economic development um, has done um, a lot of issues with affordable housing. And I also think the ARP funds, the American Rescue Plan funds, maybe that can play into it too. But thank you so much. All right, thank you, Kahari. Yeah, um, and right on cue, uh, the next question um, is about uh, the COVID relief funds. Um, at, at the city and county level, we'll start uh, with uh, Councilwoman Prizio and go back in, in reverse order. So Councilwoman Prizio, Councilman Lavelle, Councilwoman Strasburger, and then uh, Mr. Mulvaney um, around COVID relief. There has been a lot of discussion and even some criticism of how, um, you know, the process has played out under the city and the county have both um, gone through um, processes of, um, of earmarking uh, the, the COVID uh, relief funds. Um, so so my, my question is, is, is um, what can uh, the, the bodies of council, city and county council uh, do to potentially uh, get more um, involvement? And are you comfortable with uh, the process, how, how it's taking place? And obviously for the county council members, how it's taking place at the county level and, and obviously for our city council members as well as, as, as the candidate, um, Connor, 
as well. Um, you know, how do you feel about how the process has played out um, here locally in the, in the disbursement and the earmarking of those allocation of those funds? I, be I believe you're still on mute, Councilwoman. The county received $380 million in um, American Rescue Plan money. So the county has decided only to spend $99 million this year. And um, then we have till 2024 to spend the entire amount. So I, I think that's that gives us an opportunity to um, maybe mold um, some other programs with this Um you know, I know a lot, I'm in the majority of it is for um, government services and um, we have done some for um, radio replacements and public safety upgrades, um, but the majority of it is to, um, to uh, replace the revenue that was lost. But I'm hoping to have some meetings, especially in my district, I'm planning one on November 10th to discuss the whole budget process and, you know, how everyone could have a seat at the table to um, discuss it. But I, I agree. I think there should be transparency. This is a lot of money and the money can be very transformational. Thanks. Councilman Levant. Thank you. Um, so I'm going to let Councilwoman Strasburger focus in on a lot of the process moving forward um, because she has been one of the strongest advocates on council about ensuring that council is hearing more and more from the public on and better transparency. As it relates to the process leading up to adopting the, the ARP spending plan, I was comfortable with it. One of the criticisms we heard in council was you're moving too soon. You don't understand what our concerns are. And while I understand the sentiment, I felt very differently about it because every day um, that I get up, there's an email, there's a call. When I see someone in the street every day, when I go to community meetings, when I was at the uh, public safety meeting prior to getting on with this, every day, members of the public, of our constituency say, here's what we need you to focus on. We need more money for affordable housing as we were just talking about. We need money to, fit, to pave our streets that are, that are run down. We need money to, for social services. We need money for X, Y, and Z. And so all year long, council members, at least I am, and I believe most of my colleagues are as well, are collecting that information. And usually we use it when it's time to go into the budget season. So once it's time to go into our capital budget, all year long, we've known this set of stairs needs repaired. This shelter needs fixed. This needs addressed. And so this year with the ARP dollars, we're able to do the same thing. We just did it in advance of the budget process. We did it with the ARP spending plan. And so I was comfortable with how we spent the plan. I also thought it was imperative that if what we know in the year prior to COVID, we had a report that came out talking about the state of affairs for Black Pittsburgh, especially Black women. If we know it's bad and we know the pandemic just exasperated those problems, then we shouldn't be sitting on these dollars that are meant to help. We should rather adopt a plan and get those dollars turned around as quickly as possible to begin helping people. And so that's what City Council did. And I was proud of City Council for doing that. But we can always do better. Uh, we can always have more public engagement. And I think Councilman Strasburger is really going to lead us down a road to ensure, even with this budget cycle, that we're doing a, a better job because we can always improve. Thank you. Councilman? Thank you. Yes. So I, um, I think that this was a real, a real learning opportunity for me and some of my fellow council members through this process. 
Yeah. First time I looked at the set of funding priorities to the ARP process, I thought this is a really good list of and really important needs that well that are going to be met in the community, um, ranging from um, group violence intervention to housing to um, to childcare. And it was a um, a really strong list. And yet, because the public didn't feel as if they were engaged enough, where there wasn't as much um, there wasn't as much as much engagement on the front end to allow for them to co-create it along with council members, the final list of funding priorities was not felt to be transparent, equitable in the process. They were unhappy about the process. Rightly so. And I understand that. And it, it was a really great opportunity for me to look at the ARP process and sort of a miniature budget process and think and ask the question, why are we uh, using the budget process that we currently do? And the answer is we went into what was called Act 47, just the sort of the city version of bankruptcy 15 years ago. And out of that process, out of state control, came this process that we currently use to create our budget. There's no reason why we have to use that process anymore. If we wanted to, we could start the budget process rather than November for a final or really, you know, the, the city council portion of it is November for a final vote at the end of December. We could be starting it January or February, meeting with the communities from January all the way through December in each council district to be able to understand and hear straight from the people who live in each council district and all neighborhoods in the city what their priorities are. And we could find a way to also capture what Councilman Lavelle is talking about, which is how do you capture and report out to the community what council members, what the mayor's office, what our 311 program is hearing every day to be able to capture that, report out and say, this is our budget. This is the discretionary funding we have to actually spend on things that people care about. And here's why we chose to spend it on this, because we heard from you throughout the year as to what was important. And so I'm working with a number of different organizations. I look forward to continue to work with um, the Community Justice Project, the Pennsylvania Budgeting Policy Center, um, groups from Pittsburgh United, and hopefully some public policy students just start to look at this, recreate, recraft our, our a new budget process that is more inclusive, that is also iterative. So it reports out, the community gets to look at it, and then we get to report how we're doing throughout the year on our budget as well. Um, I think I'm really excited about this, as you can probably tell, and it's going to be a huge task. So I don't think it's going to be done in time for 2022. We'll be studying it, working through it 2022, but even in 2022, we have the opportunity to start to meet council district by council district and really have really uh, uh, our ears open approach to what uh, the budget priorities are uh, need to be in every part of town. Thank you so much, Mr. Morvay. So um, from outside of council and, and you know, doing advocacy for my own community, in my opinion, the rollout or this process rather was, was disastrous. People wanted to engage council. They were ready. They had ideas and, and they were blown off. And, you know, this, the idea for this, for this money shouldn't be plugging holes. I think what people want is transformational systemic change. Um, because that's, that's what I think that our city and our current moment calls for. Um, council should have recognized the moment it approached the community to listen about what people's most important needs were in that moment 
you know, this isn't about potholes that needed fixed years ago. This is about COVID and responding to COVID. And not only that, but trying to remove the structural barriers to the things that people need the most right now. Stop the evictions and ensuring affordable housing, I think, should have been on the top of that list. Food insecurity, freedom of movement, I think, are things that we struggle with in District 4 as well as citywide that, that could have been talked about as well. It generally, we as members of city council need to encourage civic engagement and listen to people when they're engaging with us, not giving a meeting or lending an ear and then pushing off action. Um, I consider myself an activist and I believe when someone's motivated enough to get off the couch and engage and not just do that as an individual, but get all their friends and all people that care about the same thing up and organized to talk about an issue. We have a responsibility to engage and listen and act on their behalf. And I think that city council missed a very critical opportunity to do that with this funding. And um, I'm glad to hear that things are, are changing and, and systems are changing. But I think that uh, a huge opportunity was missed. Thank you for that. I, I did, you know, want to give an opportunity if, if any of the council members wanted, you know, to respond or talk about any of the other, you know, efforts that were made uh, before we go to the next question. If not a uh, miracle. Uh, yes, continuing on, and this is um, more for the city council ca uh, candidates. Recently, there has been some conversation about the proposed legislation that would give council oversight on the people that the mayor would like to appoint for various positions. Um, in the process, a lot of uh, people have questioned the timing of the legislation, um, even though I believe um, Councilmember just did say he's been trying to pass this since I believe since 2009. Can you just talk about the legislation, what the legislation is going to do, how it, it, how it would impact the ability for the mayor to pick an administration and how it coincides with um, voters picking a different administration and making sure that it is not an obstructionist legislation. I'll start with Councilman Lavelle, um, Councilman Strasberger, and then um, Council Candidate uh, Mulvaney. You can uh, chime in, and then um, Councilman Prizia, if you would like to also add it, you can as well. Thank you, Miracle. Um, so two things. One, I cannot speak to the intent of the legislation, as I'm actually not the author, nor has Council taken the legislation up for consideration yet. When this legislation got introduced, it cannot come up to council until the mayor is given, the current mayor is given 30 days to review it and provide comment on the actual legislation. So we won't have a chance to discuss it until it comes back over from the administration with their comment on it. Um, so based upon that, I haven't decided one way or the other um, what I will do with the legislation um, because it, it hasn't come before us yet. Um, what I generally understand of the legislation is that currently um, all directors of departments, so public works director, finance and law, um, PLI, property license and inspection, all, all these various directors require council approval. And my understanding is what this legislation would then do is say, in addition to the directors that require approval from city council. To, so the, just to be clear, the mayor, the incoming mayor, whomever that may be, will 
submit names to city council for approval of the various departments and city council will hold interviews and will approve those positions. What this legislation also does is take it a step further where we would then also have to approve, I believe the deputy directors and potentially some supervisors, I think. Um, but with that being said, I haven't found, I have not formed a formal opinion on the bill yet, as it has not come before a council for discussion. I believe the mayor has, I think, two more weeks before it'll come back for us for actual discussion. Thank you so much. Thank you. I don't have too, too much more to add to that. That's my understanding as well. And I'm in the same position. I haven't formed a decision on this because we haven't really discussed this. I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to, uh, jump too, too quickly into making any kind of policy decision until I have the time to understand the motivation for it, hear from the bill sponsor and discuss it at our standing committee meeting once it comes back to council. Um, and this particular bill is, is as Councilman LaBelle said, gets a longer sort of uh, review from the mayor's office too. So I'm interested to hear what the mayor's office, the current mayor's office has to say about it, uh, what the bill sponsor, Reverend Burgess has to say about it and what, um, you know, what others who might be presenting to council, um, whether they're public commenters, members of the public, um, anyone. I, I do one, a couple of thoughts though. In the time that I've been either working for city council or sitting on city council, I have never once seen council use their power to veto a, a mayor's decision to uh, appoint a director. And I've seen them be heavily questioned. I've seen it look like a Senate confirmation committee in some cases, but I've never seen council veto um, or uh, disapprove of and vote down an appointment for a director or a chief. And um, uh, so I, I'm, I'm, it's unclear to me whether there's support at council for this bill to pass. Um, I think a lot of people are, are a lot of council members are dubious about it, but if it does pass, I'm also, um, I'm also, it's unclear to me how much it would actually be used or whether we would actually um, exercise that power if, uh, if it did pass. So yeah, I, there's a lot to learn about this particular bill and I look forward to it being um, discussed when it comes up at council in a couple of weeks. Thank you so much. Mr. Mulvaney. Sure. Um, so as a member of the Green Party, uh, I think that uh, decentralized government is is really important and balance of power is, is important. Um, but again, generally speaking, I think that moving power from one concentration to another is is bad. Um, and we have to keep in mind who's going to, to be given that power, right? Um, it's going to be interesting to see how council shakes down on this. Um, I will also say that I'm, I'm generally concerned with the path that the conversation is taking around the power of city council members, right? So there's been other discussions about giving city council members the power to greenlight developments in, in their districts. And my opponent, for example, the incumbent in district four is not a city planner. He's probably the furthest thing from it. Is, is he really in a position to be able to greenlight or red light certain developments? 
he says, where his money comes from, you're also questionable. Do we really think his constituents that he's going to make the decision that's best for our communities? I, I don't think so. I think that's kind of like a really unfunny and dangerous joke. Um, so balance of power is, is important, but I think that we should also keep in mind who we are giving power to if we decide to shift it. Thank you. I think I'll just defer to um, the county council, uh, the, the city council members and the mayor on this issue. Thank you. Gavari, next question. Yeah, I have a, a, a county council um, question for Councilwoman uh, Pritio. Uh, recently, there was a, a paid uh, sick leave uh, legislation um, that was passed. Um, could you talk you know, a, a little bit about the process of, of getting that done? Um, the, the role that, that you played and why, you know, it's important and what it means to the regional economy. Thank you so much. So I was one of the original um, co-sponsors on the paid sick leave. Um, yeah, the, it was a, it, education for me too. I thought, you know, the best way to do it was through county council, but um, apparently the best way was to, to bring it through the health department first, but we did get it passed. I, I think it's, um, it's not as, um, expansive as the cities, um, because it only applies to companies that have over 25 employees. But I mean, I think it's, it's definitely a, a good step forward. And, um, you know, I, I think that brings, um, yeah, it's, it's an, a necessary thing, and I'm very happy that it passed unanimously. So, um, yes, I, I think it was a good thing that happened on city uh, county council. Perfect. And um, I know we talked a little bit about uh, earlier about, like, development and everything. A lot of, uh, you know, Pittsburgh really right now is kind of, and it's, people call it a rebirth, so I'm saying don't call it that. But it is a situation where it's attracting businesses, it's attracting people to live here. It is uh, actively recruiting, you know, being on this list and trying to expand and update infrastructure. Um, as council, what role do you see uh, yourselves in making sure that these developments that are coming in are sustainable, that they're environmentally friendly? that they're not displacing people um, and they're not call, uh, causing long-term um, impacts because we're, we're seeing a lot of uh, investment within this region. And I'll go with uh, Councilman Strasburger, Councilman Lavelle, and um, Council Candidate Wilby. Thank you. This is the balance that, we, that we're walking right now. We want people to move here. We don't want to fall below a certain threshold of population. We don't want to see our population continue to decline like it has been the last 50 years. But we want the growth that's happening to be for everyone up until now. It hasn't been. It's been for the privileged and the wealthy. And um, so we do need to change our practices. So I'll say two things are going to sound like they conflict with each other, but I think that they could both be true. One is... We, a uh, council can't, does have the power in some ways to create both incentives and mandates to ensure that the development that does occur does so in a, in a sustainable, environmentally friendly, equitable, 
uh, way that creates high paying jobs that are inclusive um, and don't, doesn't displace people and doesn't displace workers. We can do that through mandates like inclusionary zoning for housing, but we can also do that by creating um, uh, incentives. So for instance, if you want a tax abatement, if you want to be able to get a little bit off of paying tax, paying your property taxes for a short period of time as an incentive to build in a certain part of town that needs new development, well, you're going to need to demonstrate that you're doing it in an environmental, sustainable, and equitable way, that you're using um, union labor, that's paying high-paying jobs, that you're using, that you're hiring people from the local community, that you're engaging with local the local community, and maybe if, the, if it's appropriate, engaging and signing a community benefits agreement so that the community truly is benefiting from it. Will that slow down the process? Maybe a little bit, but not if we actually institutionalize all of those practices and make sure that, um, you know, it's the expect, it's what you're expecting if you're developing uh, an office building and bringing a company here and bringing jobs here. If, if you know what you're getting into when you come, it might not slow down the process because you'll just automatically do it. At the same time, I feel like city council is only as powerful as, as, it, as its partners, right? Allegheny County is a partner. And it's and it's many different uh, departments and 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 levels of government. There, the state is a partner, um, but also our biggest employers have to be partners. We need our biggest employers to really step up and be better than they are now at providing good, high-paying jobs that are um, equitable and inclusive. And um, and our universities are partners. We need to make sure we're working with our universities and our schools and our education system to be both educating um, our children and our students and our university students in the best possible way. And then working with us as local leaders to create incentives for those people, whether they're international students coming here for university, whether they're homegrown Pittsburgh students to want to stay in Pittsburgh, to want to start their lives here and, and grow their families here in Pittsburgh. Um, can't do anything like that without the, the partnership uh, with, um, and, and leveraging this partnership. So more and more, I see that you know, we're limited in the way that we can work at city council. We need, we need to work with so many different others to make that a reality here. Agreed. Um, but to our, to councilwoman Schwarzberger's point, um, one such example of where you can have the zoning regulations in place to encourage sustainable development, encourage uh, more affordable housing is you can look at the uptown. Um, we adopted an eco district bill a few years ago, um, which has things in it that says, if you want to go higher, then you have to provide affordable housing. If you want this, then here's a community benefit that must be made in return for that. And so there are policies that the city has begun to put in place to encourage sustainable development. Uh, Councilman Strasburger also mentioned community benefits agreement. Um, at the very beginning, I mentioned the Lower Hill development that does have a community benefits agreement attached to it. And so we can use some, both the, uh, the hammer, um, as well as our legal authority to implement certain things. So as an example, we created a LERDA district, um, which by definition, what it basically means is all the taxes that'll be generated through the redevelopment of the lower hill district site, which is going to be a billion dollar development can only be deployed in the rest of the hill district neighborhood. So they go into a special fund that'll be used to help redevelop the middle and upper hill district so that you don't have a scenario 
like the waterfront in Homestead, as an example, where you did that development, but on 8th Avenue, you turned us back to it and 8th Avenue never benefited from it. So rather we're taking the tax revenue now that we, that we are working with and deploying it into the community to fix up people's homes. So that as the, as the values go up, they can actually uh, capture that value and stay and be, and be able to stay in their home. We're using that money to fund small business development along Center Avenue so that long-term um, business owners like Big Tom, who's been renting a barbershop there for the last 20 years or so, will now have an opportunity to actually own his own building and establish his own business so that it'll actually benefit from the redevelopment of the Lower Hill. So there are a number of different things that we are and can do um, to ensure equitable development. And those are just a few examples. Go ahead, Connor. Thank you. Uh, I'll, I'll just, um, I want to clarify first, um, people can mean a, a lot of different things when they talk about sustainability, right? Uh, and the city has, has a couple of different ways to, to do that. Uh, certainly can't just think about, uh, how much water is coming off of the building, how many, how many trees are being placed on the ground. Um, it's sustainability is, or should be a combination of working with what we have now and what we want to see in the future. Right. And part of that is going to have to be working with what we have in meeting needs that we have right now. Um, talk about equitable growth. Um, when we're talking about, um, like some of the incentives that council has used in the past and, and some of the things that have been called sustainable, um, really seem quite dangerous, uh, especially whenever we start talking about affordable housing. Um, I think that if we want a truly sustainable future, we need to do some version of a localized Green New Deal, right? And when we're talking about jobs creation and future growth, we have to focus on things that are going to solve problems that we have right now and help solve problems that we're, we know that we're going to face in the future, especially around uh, uneven economic growth and climate change. So working on energy solutions, local food systems, which I think doesn't get talked about enough um, in any corner of, of uh, whatever issue council is talking about. Sustainable transportation, um, not crazy ideas like putting trolleys or um, uh, self-driving cars through, through parks. We need real transportation solutions that we know work and um, make sure that they're serving people who are here right now. Um, I also think it's important when we talk about CBAs that there's a history of them being ignored, um, either by developers or by city council. And, you know, we need to be really, really clear when we're talking about sustainability and future developments. Uh, I think that we need to set a new standard from within the city for what we're calling sustainable and what our sustainability goals are to ensure that the people who call Pittsburgh home right now, the people who make Pittsburgh work can continue to do it and benefit from the sustainable growth, truly sustainable growth that we want to see from the city. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think we should be working with um, the folks in the city. I mean, we do the same thing in the count on the county level with LERDAs and TIPS and we need to insist on project labor agreements so we have sustainable 
um, family sustaining jobs and uh, and community community benefit agreements too that um, deal with sustainability and um, it's very important that we work together and um, that when we give a tax incentive that we that the county does get something from that also. Sahari, you have uh, another a county question uh, uh, for Councilwoman uh, Pritio. Um, you've um, have over, you know, uh, the, the, over the course of your tenure, but even more recently, have expressed some of your concerns about um, the goings on um, at the county jail. Um, can can you talk ab about you know what you know for those who are concerned about uh, what's happening? Can you talk a little bit about some of the recent events and what the public can do and your constituents can do? Um, you know, to, um, to raise uh, awareness uh, about what's happening. I know a lot of folks want to learn what they can do to get more, you know, involved in being advocates, you know, what's for happening. I know you were, you know, supportive of the COVID-19 testing, some of the things that got voted down. So just talk a little bit, kind of like the state of play at the county jail from your point of view on what the public can do, uh, to potentially get more involved, be more supportive. Um, of, of the inmates and things that are happening if they do share the same concerns that you do. Um, yeah, I, I do think that jail is one of the liabilities of the county. And I believe that um, the jail oversight board is the board that should oversee the jails. Um, I, I know the last contract with um, the, uh, with the militarization of some of the uh, techniques there, I, I just think is unacceptable. So I, I think the oversight board is the one that should be looking over that. And I think everyone needs to be at the table. The chief executive needs to be at the table. The warden needs to be at the table. So we could really solve what the issue that is going on in the jails. I mean, I, I believe that, um, that we should really reform the whole, the cash bail system is an issue. I think people are in the jails because they can't afford bail. And I think that has to do with the magistrates and maybe they can help. But I, I think that we have that oversight board. It's, it's led by a lot of strong individuals. I think that should be the first point. And I, I think uh, contracts, when it's such a large contract, I think it should have some oversight. So I, I think um, it's a difficult situation, but um, I, I think we have an oversight board that if it's functionally properly, it can um, be a definite asset. Thank you, Miracle. Um, yeah, so I know it's or um, wrapping up the last couple of questions. Um, we know um, we talked a little bit about, you know, uh, population earlier. We know that we are going through a redistricting process right now, um, but just getting off of the ground. And so my question is, what hopes do you have for your district? And if your district is going to change, obviously you don't know, we don't know right now. Um, but if your district changes, how will you go about building community relations um, with the newer people in your district? And we'll start uh, Councilman Strasburger, uh, Councilman LaBelle, and um, candidate um, Mulvey. Thank you for the question. Um, so the district I represent is one of the few to grow populations last census. So it um, 
will inevitably shrink in size even further from four, one neighborhood plus three part partial neighborhoods to something even smaller than that. And whether I lose part of Oakland, whether, whether I lose part of Point Breeze, whether I lose part of Shady Center, Squirrel Hill, it's going to be an adjustment. And it'll be unlikely in my mind that I, uh, that I do something more than my district done something rather to shrink that I, then I shrink in one place and then grow in another place. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, so really I, um, it, it, it's two things. One, it's my responsibility to hand over and start to introduce that council member who will be taking a portion of the district I represent so that the transition is seamless. Um, and that, um, you know, they get, accustomed to, to working with the people who live and work and play in that part of the district. The other thing is just a, a continuation on the, the thought that we need to make sure that other parts of the city are, are growing in population and that development, um, whatever you mean by the term development, what I mean is, um, you know, equitable, sustainable, um, uh, uh, growth, population growth, but also jobs and, and housing growth in the city happens in more places than in District D and District 7, that it's happening across the rivers and in areas that we haven't seen investment in a really long time. So um, a little bit aside from that, but if we if we continue only growing in certain parts of the city, we're just going to continue to see the same kind of um, pattern 10 years from now in the next census. So my district will grow, but by a, just a little bit, it won't be very large at all. Um, more than likely, I, I have part of Perry Hilltop now. More than likely, I'll probably have all of it, um, which will make getting to know those residents pretty easy because I already attend Perry Hilltop community meetings. Um, but it'll, you know, we'll probably spend a day and, and get out and knock some doors and meet the new residents that we represent. Um, we normally send them a newsletter to inform them that we are the their new elected official, um, let them know some of the things we're working on, give them all our information so they can be in contact. Um, my district will grow just by a little. Um, the largest district that I believe has to actually grow within the city of Pittsburgh is district one, which is represented by councilman Wilson. So I'm also just supposed to be a majority minority district. Um, so finding the amount, the appropriate population to maintain that will be tough. Um, but that's something we'll also be looking at. Um, but that's, that's what will happen with my district. And then for people who are not aware, I caught from the book, could you explain what the majority minority district is, is in reference to? Oh, yes. I apologize. Um, there are actually in the city of Pittsburgh supposed to be two majority minority districts, which means that you have a majority of minority residents who reside in that district. So that at some, essentially that you get the majority. The majority of minorities are above 50% that are actually living in that district. Um, I think I'm currently around 48% minority population. So they will we'll need to adjust it to try to get me above 50%. And there's supposed to be two in the city of Pittsburgh. Reverend Burgess is the other one. And the reason for this is if you go back at one point in time, all city council members were elected by the citywide. Um, you ran citywide. But then there was a lawsuit that essentially said, if you continue to ensure that council members have to run citywide, you have a less likely chance of an African-American achieving office. Um, therefore, a lawsuit was filed and then they created the bi-districts. Thank you so much. And uh, Karen Ditt, Mulvaney. 
Sure. Um, yeah, it's, it's, um, you know, certainly an, an interesting time to see how redistricting shakes down, uh, not just in the city of Pittsburgh, but across the country. Um, but I think that my love for grassroots democracy prepares me, me well for it. Um, and my love for, for civic engagement. And that's what would be at the forefront, you know, if district four changes, um, you know, I would want to meet everyone, former elected officials, community leaders, people walking down the street. Um, you know, I know a few people over my, uh, district's borders and, you know, if they were to join our district, then, uh, you know, they would, they would certainly get a doorknock as well. But, uh, yeah, I, I would essentially re, uh, contact everyone, just like we've been doing across district for now and, and get to know the people and, um, welcome, welcome them into our, uh, our district. Thank you so much. Um, and, and, and uh, you as well, uh, a county council, because again, everyone, everyone's district here is pop may actually change. I uh, yeah, we're going to be discussing this on Wednesday, um, uh, regarding, um, council districts. So I'm looking forward to that conversation and see how things change. I have a very diverse district and, um, you know, I don't know if that's going to impact me, but, um, I'm willing to, um, you know, facilitate communication among all council members, however that's best. Thank you so much. And uh, so now uh, we get to the, the point in our program where we ask what I call is the miracle question. Um, you know, we get real deep into policy for the vast majority of the hour, but we try to end it on a lighter note, on a more humanizing note. I guess we'll go into the order that we started. We'll go Councilman Pritio. Councilman Lavelle, Councilwoman Strasberger, and then candidate Mulvaney. And yeah, we started asking this question uh, early when we started this podcast. And um, I call it the miracle question. And the question is just simply, what brings you joy? Um, just to kind of humanize, you know, we know, you know, we're in the middle of silly season where people become political caricatures and we kind of, uh, the political world is stripped of our humanity. So this is just our own little way of, of bringing some humanity back to the political process. So starting with Councilwoman Apricia, what brings you joy right now? Uh, what would bring me joy is um, I want to do what I can for the county. Um, I like to connect people. I like to solve problems. And um, I always think of that proverb where, you know, I like to plant the tree. And even if I will not enjoy the shade of the tree, I hope my children and my grandchildren might enjoy that and other residents. So I just want to make a little bit of an impact, um, make it a little bit better than when I came in. Thank you. Councilman Lavelle. Going to see a young man named Kahari Mosley perform. <laughs> Good answer. Um, I, I, I was I was out of town during your last uh, performance with uh, Selectus. So I wasn't able to be there, but I did see some videos. So, but no, I'm a I'm a big fan of music. Um, me and Kahari used to debate who our favorite rappers were, um, and don't let people sleep on Kahari's skills themselves. Um, but the music music brings me joy. Um, but even more than that, these days, it's really, it's my children. Um, Kahari mentioned I got to see him at the baseball field the other day when my son um, was playing his last baseball game of the season. So seeing them thrive and seeing them succeed brings me a lot of joy. Thank you. Councilwoman Trasper. 
which brings me joy is uh, seeing people from different parts of Pittsburgh coming to come together and meet each other and, and enjoy each other's company. Uh, music, live music in particular, which we haven't had much of these days. Uh, being outside in, whether it's outside in Mellon Park or whether it's outside in, you know, a state park where the trees are so big that you feel, uh, it, you feel minuscule in comparison, it puts it in perspective for you. And my two and a half year old son brings me joy. Thank you. Connor. Um, getting stuff done and, and making change certainly, you know, makes, uh, makes me joyous, but in the spirit of the question, uh, truly my, my dog walking my dog and taking her to the park and, uh, playing, playing fetch with her. And, um, you know, it's, it's tough doing that when it's, it's crazy season, but, uh, yeah, I, I look forward to taking much longer walks with her, uh, whenever crazy season is over and cooking as well. Um, there's all kinds of great seasonal stuff to make right now. I look forward to making like a nice roasted squash in the near future. So that will, that will bring you some joy. Thanks so much. I'm going to turn it over to Miracle to take us out this evening. Yeah, so I thank all of our uh, candidates for joining us this evening. We greatly appreciate Um, You can turn your cameras off or leave the studio as we do our wrap up. But you know, we wanted to have this conversation with you, especially around our districting and the information that's coming up with our city and county council, because there's a lot of legislation on the table. A lot of times people forget that our city and county councils are working councils. They passed a lot of legislation in the past couple of years, and there's a lot of stuff that's coming up, uh, including um, this possible uh, change to the way uh, the committee assignments are going to get placed. There is still an issue of what the COVID dollars are going to look like. Um, as well as, you know, our, our annual budgets for our cities and our county. So it's always very important to get to know the people who are running, even if they do not have um, an opponent. We want to make sure that everyone understands what these positions do, how long they last, um, and, and what districts are being represented, what neighborhoods are being impacted. As we said, at the top of the program, there's a lot of stuff going on. Today is National Coming Out Day. It's also Indigenous Peoples Day um, and the Day of the Girl. I wanted to make sure we took time to acknowledge all of, of the celebrations uh, and the reflections that are happening today and remind people that the, the, the personal is political and to remind people to get involved, like we said earlier at the beginning, to register to vote, to volunteer for these campaigns. And I know uh, Councilman Velda talked about, you know, Kahari be on the mic. Um, and this uh, weekend, if you want to get outside, you want to meet people, you want to have some great food, talk more to candidates, we have partnered with Keystone uh, Progress for a fundraiser. We are going to be out um, in the spot. It's going to be a live open mic. So if you want to jump on the mic, if you are a karaoke champ, if you have a song you've been just like dying to let out, come jump on the mic with us. Everyone is welcome to attend. We invite everyone to come out uh, to relax. We will have um, outside space. So for those who are worried still about COVID-19, we will 
be outside um, in accordance with guidelines. And we are uh, the majority of the people who are working and organizing um, have been vaccinated. So is that is what brings you comfort and make, helps you feel more comfortable coming outside. Again, we invite you um, to join us. Please make sure you're tuning into our series. Making sure you're registered to vote. And if you have any extra su uh, financial support, please make sure you donate to One Power so we can keep uh, bringing out you these great programs and outreach and a lot of really, really amazing content that we have coming up for you um, in the next quarter. And with that, I'll pass it back over to Bari. Thank you so much. I want to thank Councilwoman Anita Prizio, Councilman Dan Lavelle, Councilwoman Erica Strasberger, and candidate Connor Mulvaney for joining us this evening uh, and, and helping um, us facilitate, I think, a very enlightening and in-depth uh, educational conversation. You know, one thing that we, you know, try to do is just, you know, get beyond the politics and do some civic education. And, and I really appreciate the insight um, that all four of our guests tonight gave us. And again, you know, for those who uh, are just joining us or joined us late, um, you know, we were joined by Councilwoman uh, Anita Prizio from Allegheny County Council, uh, two members of Pittsburgh City Council, Councilman uh, Dan Lavelle, as well as Councilwoman Erica Strausberger, as well as, as, the, as the Green Party candidate for our City Council in the South Hills, a section of the city, Connor Mulvaney. And I just want to, again, thank them so much for uh, joining us and helping us foster a very enlightening conversation about um, city and county government. And that was the fifth in, in our series of six fall forums. It feels like it was just Labor Day and, and we hadn't even um, got out of the starting gate uh, with our judicial forum, with our statewide judicial forum. And now we only have one forum left next Monday. We will be joined by the slate of five, uh, five of the candidates for uh, the Court of Common Pleas. As you know, we did not um, endorse the vast majority of uh, offices uh, that folks were running for this year, uh, but we did make the unusual step of joining with the Elect Justice Coalition and supporting a group of candidates running for the Court of Common Pleas. Uh, that was originally the slate of eight. Uh, five of the eight uh, made it through the primary to uh, the general election. And, um, and we will be joined by, by those uh, five individuals. Um, and that is, uh, Rena Watson, uh, Nicola Henry Taylor, Tiffany Sizemore, Lisa Middleman and Chelsea Wagner, uh, full disclosure, as many know, uh, Chelsea Wagner is my wife, um, and also the sitting County controller, but we will be joined uh, by those five individuals next Monday night to close out our, uh, fall candidate forum series. And then we will have two. Uh, election previews. We'll have a local uh, preview two weeks before the election. Well, well, actually not two weeks, eight days before the election. And the Monday night before the election on November 1st, uh, we will have a statewide uh, election preview. Um, so we got uh, still a full slate coming up as we wind down. want to thank everyone um, who has joined us and, um, and Miracle. I'm going to um, pass it to you um, to close this out officially for the evening. And uh, thanks again for our guests for joining us tonight. Yes, thank you all so much for, for tuning in. Please make sure you're watching the program. Uh, this week we do have uh, This Week in White Supremacy. We also have on Tilt on Thursdays. I do not believe we have any special programming 
this week we do have um, a couple of things that we are dropping. In addition, please make sure um, you're staying safe, staying warm, um, being out there, enjoying this, this last bit of the weather we have. Please make your voting plan, and we will see you next Monday at 7 p.m. Y'all have a great evening. Take care. Good night.